I'm going to begin this morning with something that is decidedly counter the culture of the Episcopal Church. It is sure to scandalize both red-blooded and blue-blooded Episcopalians across the spectrum. I want to invite you, I want to encourage you to close your minds. And in closing your minds, I implore you to soften and open your hearts as widely as you can possibly open them. I ask you to do this because the story that we have today, the story that began last Sunday and spans the entire Holy Week, is not a reasoned or logical or coherent story. It's a heartfelt, impassioned, poignant story. The story is not meant to be studied and critiqued. It's meant to be felt and lived. The story that we have as Christian people over the course of these last seven days, in my opinion, is the most magnificent story that humans have ever told. If it were a painting, it would be a masterpiece hanging in a place like the Louvre or the Met or the Hermitage. It would sit behind bulletproof glass and there would be laser beams dancing across the room in order to discourage the black clad cable lowering cat burglar from stealing it and absconding it. But it is not a masterpiece. It's a tool and it's our tool. It's meant to be felt and it's meant to be lived. It's like that that old Afghan that Grandma crocheted so many years ago that doesn't go with any of the decor in your living room, but nevertheless, you pull it around your shoulders when the fall gets cold while you're watching the football game. It's that dictionary that you've had since you graduated from high school that have followed you from college to grad school and then from apartment to apartment and house to house that Google has yet to overtake. It is that pocket knife in the pocket of the ranch hand, rusty and trusty, well used. The story is a tool, and it's an emotional tool. It's meant to be felt, and in order for us to, to live into what today really is and what really means, we have to go back to last Sunday. So bear with me as we move through these beats, these emotional beats of the story that Christians have held sacred for over 2,000 years. It begins, of course, with Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a wonderful, triumphant, victorious, and utterly absurd, peculiar story. As people of emotion, we put ourselves there. We put ourselves in the story. We're standing at the edge of the street, welcoming Jesus 
into Jerusalem in the same way that a victorious military conqueror would be welcomed into a defeated city. We unzip our puffy coats and we throw them into the road and we throw tree branches into the road. But there's this wonderful, peculiar detail in the story that we talked about last week, if you were here last week, that is an oddity, an absurdity. It's meant to upset our unconscious minds, thinking we know exactly what's going to happen. Jesus references, before he comes into the city, this old prophecy that comes from the Hebrew scriptures. He tells two of his disciples to go into town, and there you will find a donkey, a donkey followed, tethered with a colt, a female donkey who is recently born offspring that is following her around. Take the donkey. If anyone asks you any questions, just say, the master needs it. Jesus does not come in to Jerusalem like other military victors. He's not in a tank. He's not in a Bradley fighting vehicle. He's not a back, a black stallion. Jesus comes in on the back of a female donkey who has just given birth. In our day and age, Jesus rolls victorious into Jerusalem in a gray minivan, one that needs body work, one that has two car seats tethered to the back, their Cheerios ground into the upholstery, and each door handle is sticky with apple juice. Do you see that this man refuses to live in to that patriarchal image of military victory? He, ri- he drives a mom's car into Jerusalem in the most peculiar and wonderful and hilarious, beautiful way. That's the first beat of the story. We stand at the street. We throw our puffy coats into the road, branches of trees, and the feeling, the feeling around us is one of optimism. It's one of hope. It's one that tomorrow will be better than this day, and this day is good. We wake up from the emotive experience of that story, and we say, we We are a people of hope. That's the feeling of Palm Sunday. Those feelings of optimism carry us a little bit further than halfway through the week. The next beat of the story comes to us on Thursday. In the late afternoon or the evening, the rabbi hosting a dinner party for his disciples, for his nearest and dearest. The feelings there are feelings of intimacy, connectedness, trust, hope and optimism still there, but it's less victorious. It's quieter. It's a bit more humble. It's beautiful. And then there's this second peculiar twist in the story. 
the rabbi, the master, rather than taking the head of the table, turns the story upside down. He sheds his fancy garment. He ties an apron around his waist. He gets down on his knees. And in an act of humble service, in intimate, humble service, he takes his beloved's feet into his hands and he bathes them with tender care. The story is so peculiar that the disciple of all disciples doesn't even get it. He's like, no, no, Jesus, you are not washing my feet. No way, no how. But Jesus insists and then models beautiful, loving service, encouraging his disciples to continue service-oriented loving kindness in the world. Do this in remembrance of me, he says. Love one another, nurture one another, care for one another, build and strengthen relationship, lean into the connectedness that exists across the very table that we share. That's the beginning of Thursday. Those of us who know the story know that the emotions of the day begin to turn again. They turn quietly. They turn with whispers of betrayal. Judas, one of the beloved, gets up from the table and abandons the atmosphere of trust and relationship and connectedness and brings betrayal to the table. He leaves in order to connect with the chief priests and the police who have come to arrest Jesus. Judas, in his hunger for power, changes the feeling. The feelings change. On Monday, Thursday, we are no longer a people of hope. As Thursday turns to Friday, we become a people of fear. We know that about ourselves. Each of us has the capacity to live in fear. We express our shadows all the time. As Thursday turns to Friday, we find ourselves in the same spot where we were on Sunday, and our cries, rather than being Hosanna, or rather than being the hopeful optimism of blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, our cries are fearful cries, and they become violent. We, standing on the street, and it's not just them, church, it's us and them. We stand right there on the side of the street where we threw our coats and the branches into the road and our cries become, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The day the feeling is given over to calcified religion and to violence, state-sponsored violence meant to push and hold people in place. 
And there we are. We who were a people of hope are again a people of fear. That's where we sit from Friday to Saturday. The faithful on Saturday don't observe a faithful Sabbath. They observe a fearful Sabbath. And then another beautiful turn in the story. Two women. Two women. Two women. Two of his disciples at a loss for what to do. Have this beautiful moment of surrender. At a loss for what to do as the sun begins to rise on Sunday, as Saturday turns to Sunday, they make their way to a garden, a garden where they're beloved, where their rabbi was buried. They go to keep vigil, not of his life, but they go to keep vigil where his body is resting. In a beautiful moment of surrender, these two women do the only thing they can think of to do, to go and sit with their master's body. It is a fearful moment of despair and grief and surrender. And then, in an instant, the third, and in my mind, most peculiar twist of all, as, as Thursday moves quiet, quietly and slowly from hope to fear, Sunday morning, we move in an instant in our ears, a loud booming, and all of a sudden, in the most peculiar move yet, there is an angel sitting on a rock dressed like lightning, who stare into the hearts of these two women and into our hearts and address the emotion of the day. You have nothing to fear, the angel says. An angel sitting on a rock, dressed like lightning, turns the story again. The one who you are looking for is not here he is not dead. He is alive. He is risen. The story reads, in the next beat, the story reads that the women leave in deep wonder and great joy. We are a people of hope. We are a people of fear. And on this day, in this morning, we are a people of wonder, of cosmic wonder at the risen Jesus' appearance among us again. This is our story, church. This is the story of Christian people across the globe. And I know that we've heard it before, but have we felt it? Have we felt its intensity? And maybe some of us are sitting here this morning and saying like, yeah, 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 Jimmy. I know the beats of the story, but what does that have to do 
about little old me and little old you in a tiny little cow town in western Wyoming that's still under 10 feet of snow when we ought to be seeing some green grass. What does that have to do with us? We know when we, when we can really sink into our emotions, we know we are a people of hope. With each beat, for those of you who are in this church week in and week out, you know in Advent, I watch you, I see you come into this place, arms laden with blue bags filled with detergent and toothpaste and toilet paper, laying it up here in the altar so those blue bags can go to the Jackson cupboard and be shared out for people who otherwise couldn't provide for themselves. You bring handfuls of coats into this place to keep cold people warm, and then you help us hang them on the trees all around the campus and in other parts of town with a tag that says, if you need me, take me. You send medical supplies and volunteers to Nicaragua to teach people how to care for themselves and how to care for one another. You, church, are a people of hope. And in the same beat, we know, we know, we have the capacity for fear. We have the capacity to embody that dark and shadowy side. We, too, are a people of fear. We know that just in the last Weak in America, the, the, the inheritance of the vision that we have, all people coming together to provide loving kindness for a nation. We are tearing each other apart. We are eating one another's hearts. We are trampling on the ideologies of those who differ from us in the name of righteousness and power. We know fear. We know fear. It is not them. It is us and them. We are a people of fear. The rabbi tells us, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, but we belittle them. And then, and then, on a Sunday morning, in a cosmic nanosecond, we embody our truest destiny. We are a people of wonder. There is no angel sitting on a rock, dressed like lightning, but there are angels everywhere. We close our minds, we soften and open our hearts, and we look. Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Are you the angel sent to tell me once again that I do not have to live in fear, that I am a person built for wonder Cosmic wonder. Church, we are a people of wonder. We are a people of wonder with the most magnificent story written in the history of stories. 
written by a God who we know to be love, who the world calls Jesus. And we stand at the threshold of wonder this morning. I wonder what beauty will come of that. Amen.